Hello and welcome to the Icon Church Leadership Podcast. My name is Justin Anderson. I'm the lead pastor at Icon, and I am here for this season with our spiritual formation director, Josh Searcy. Josh, say hello to the people. Hello. This season, wow, that was really warm. Yeah. That was great, man. (laughs) Uh, This season, we are talking about mental and emotional health and how that affects our leadership. And so our kind of one-liner for this season is that we wanna look at who God is and how he can make us mentally and emotionally whole, giving us the space to become the leaders we've always wanted to be. And uh, we're doing this because we feel like uh, in any, uh, really any time, but gosh, especially 2020, there is a lot to be mentally and emotionally unhealthy about, right? A lot of reasons uh, why we might be dealing with anxiety or depression or addiction, different things like that. And we feel like this is an opportunity for us to talk about something in leadership that is often not talked about, uh, but is a massive uh, limitation to our leadership. So uh, we want to give you some really specific examples of some ways in which we might be struggling with mental and emotional health uh, and how they're hampering your leadership and then a way out. So today we're talking about anxiety. Now this is something that I know a lot of people in our world are dealing with. Uh, a lot of people in our church are dealing with anxiety. So uh, Josh, you said the other day, that Jesus says what seems like some kind of really absurd things. I love that word, absurd. Uh, but, but that Jesus said some absurd things when it comes to anxiety. What, what is it that Jesus said, and why are you calling him absurd? Right, so I'm saying it seems absurd. Oh, Let's clarify oh, that. Okay. We'll get there, we'll get That's there. Better. Uh, yeah, so in Matthew 6 is kind of the classic anxiety text uh, that Christians go to. And in it, Jesus is... Uh, pointing to creation, pointing to birds of the air and flowers of the field, and using those as examples for why we shouldn't be anxious. But he's he's saying that we shouldn't be concerned with our next meal. We shouldn't be concerned with our uh, what we're going to wear, how we're going to be sheltered. And on its face, it seems absurd. Like what type of society could function without a concern for where its next meal is going to come? What type of organization could really flourish without a concern for how it's going to pay its employees or whatever it may be? uh, And so it seems absurd on its face that Jesus would say, don't be anxious about this kind of stuff. Don't be concerned about this. Don't let this rule you. Even as he says later in Matthew 6 that, you know, today has enough trouble. Leave tomorrow's trouble to tomorrow. And uh, all of it just seems absurd. And I think there's a unique quote-unquote absurdity to this when it comes to leadership because we have so many reasons to be anxious. When you put on your leadership hat, you uh, are not only anxious about things in your personal life, but now you take on the responsibility of other people, one of the core piece of leadership. You are taking responsibility for other people's flourishing or good or whatever it may be. And that comes with it some really unique anxieties, like I said, about whether you're running the organization, how, how am I going to pay these employees? If you're, if you're uh, leading a, a community group, then you're wondering, how can I uh, get to these people in such a way that they feel encouraged? How can I create an environment where people feel safe to come in? Uh, and so because you're taking on more things as you step into leadership, there are, there are more opportunities for anxiety. And so... On its face, it seems like 
what Jesus is saying here is absurd. It's it's yeah. not a good leadership principle, at least to us. Yeah. And we can talk about why it, why it is here later, but it, it seems absurd on its face. Sure. Yeah. And Jesus is talking about where, what you're going to eat and where you're going to sleep and what you're going to wear. Paul takes it a step further in Philippians, right? It says, do not be anxious about anything. Right. Yeah. So that's... What's That's another word for bar. absurd? Yeah. yeah. What's worse? <laughs> Don't be anxious about anything. Okay. So before we get into this and understand what it is that Jesus and Paul are telling us not to be, let's talk about what it is. What is anxiety first? And then how does anxiety specifically uh, affect our leadership? Right. So the way that I want to define it is, so one of my favorite authors, John Webster. What John Webster is to me is what C.S. Lewis is to Justin Anderson. Hmm, so, demigod. Yeah, okay. exactly, exactly. Idol. Um, and so uh, the way that John Webster framed it is that anxiety is the dark shadow of our uniquely human capacity to hope. Ooh, say that again. Anxiety is the dark shadow of our uniquely human capacity to hope. So as human beings, we have this capacity within us to look into the future and uh, feel as though there's more to come. We have the capacity to hope, uh, to look into the future and see flourishing and see benefit and see growth and progress. But living in a fallen world and being human beings who uh, are in the image of God and so therefore have that capacity to hope, uh, we're also broken. And so we have this dark shadow that instead of looking into the future and seeing benefit, progress, growth, we see dread. It's it's peering into the future in the same way that hope does, but coming up with a much, much, much different result. So, so how does this affect our leadership? Right. So the way that this affects our leadership is by killing vision. And so the one of the core pieces of being a leader is being able to set vision, whether that's uh, for something smaller as a community group or for an organization. You have to have some idea of where this thing needs to go. You have to have some vision about what it wants, what do you want it to look like in the future. And anxiety is going to kill vision directly because anxiety, you know, it's that dark shadow of hope and everything. Basically what it is at its core is we are dress rehearsing failure. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, in, in theater, you know, you have these dress rehearsals and you're going through the motions, but it's not really the show. Uh, and so the same thing with anxiety that we are going through the like we're dress rehearsing failure because we think we have to get ready for the unfaithfulness of God. We're saying something false about God. Uh, and so the way that it kills vision is we're going to be constantly pessimistic about the future. But also if we're dress rehearsing failure in our anxiety, then we can never escape what, what we could call just the control of the moment or the tyranny of the immediate. Uh, and so we can't move forward to a vision that moves us forward. We're stuck spinning our wheels and trying to trying to see how what we can do right now to prevent what we think is the inevitable tragedy, the inevitable disaster or failure that's down the road that we're perceiving in our anxiety. So we're just stuck in the moment and we're not really doing things to move things forward. We're constantly stuck in this tyranny of the moment. Yeah. And it seems like anxiety is uniquely tied to the future. Yep. Right. Uh, it's, you know, there, there, we might be anxious about things that happened in the past, but it's really their effect on our future that causes the anxiety in yep. us. And so it's, it is a uniquely kind of future oriented uh, piece of our unhealth. 
right? Mm -hmm. Does yeah. that seem fair? Mm -hmm. So it, it does feel like that it, it can lock us up in significant ways, um, kind of make us unable or unwilling to lead out into the future because of the unknown nature of it. Um, and that, you know, it's, it's unknown at best, but probably not going to be good. Right, right. Right. Like that's the fundamental presumption of anxiety that whatever the future holds, it's going to be bad. It's going to be painful. It's yeah. not going to go well. And it's all up to me. Yep. Right. It's all on me. And, and, and what's all on me is all negative. Right. So I love this idea, this illustration of dress rehearsing failure, because often the, when I talk to people who deal with anxiety, it's this mental game. Yep. Right. And you're, you're running scenarios over and over and over in your head. And they're all kind of worst case scenarios. Yep. And you're not running worst case scenarios because you want to be prepared. You know, it's not like, well, let's be prepared for the worst just in case and, you know, want to be good Boy Scouts. Right. It's, yeah. This is what's going to happen. Yep. And so we just get stuck in this cycle of the bad outcomes that we think are, are likely to happen in the future. So, all right. So then what is the antidote to anxiety? Yeah. So if we're going to look at God in order to grow in being mentally and emotionally whole for anxiety, we need to look at a God who is categorically and consistently faithful. So God is faithful. What, what does that mean? How can we define God's faithfulness? So I have this kind of definition here. Uh, God's faithfulness is his commitment to creation's flourishing expressed through the insertion of his kingdom into this world through the person of Jesus Christ. So what that means. Say it again. Yeah. So God's faithfulness is his commitment to creation's flourishing that is expressed through the insertion of his kingdom into this world through the person of Jesus Christ. So what that means, and this kind of goes back to that text in Matthew 6 where we can see, okay, this isn't absurd. Jesus is consistently in that text using the language of kingdom, that there's something new, there's some new ruling, there's some new reality that has come into the world by the sheer fact of himself. And if God's kingdom is coming into this world in Jesus Christ, then that means that this world is no longer the place in which I must carry the burden of ensuring that I survive, of ensuring that the organization survives, that our community group survives, or our church survives. If Jesus has come into the world and brought the kingdom of a faithful God, who, like Matthew 6 says, is so concerned about creation's flourishing that he's looking at the birds of the air and he's looking at the flowers that we just pass by and he has concern for them and he gives them what they need, then that means that this world is no longer a place for me to be alone and to figure things out and feel like I have to have control. Rather, it's that daily life becomes a place in which we encounter the faithful God. And so, so the way that that frees us up when we can see that God is faithful and he has brought his kingdom, his rule, and his reign into this world, what that does is uh, a few different things. We're freed up to dream of the possibilities. Uh, so if God is that faithful, then, then nothing that concerns the flourishing of God's people or of culture is off the table as a possibility. So we can have a clear and big vision that would uh, accord with the faithfulness of God. If our organization is moving forward the cultural mandate that God put forth in Genesis 1, if our church is moving forward the great commission that Jesus put forward in Matthew 28, those are things that God is committed to. 
And so because of that, we can rely that he's going to be faithful to come through. It might not mean we have success in every way. It probably doesn't. But it does mean that we're free to dream of the possibilities. And, and so what if God, what if, you know, if he doesn't come through in the way that we think? Well, with a God who is faithful, we're freed up to acknowledge that failure is a possible outcome without that option dominating us and paralyzing us. Yeah, let's yeah. let's pause on that for a second because I think that's important, right? Yeah. The faithfulness of God is not a promise of our personal success, right? Right. Yep. So we can look out into the future and have vision for what the future is, and it may not come to pass. Yeah. Right. Like right. we envision, even if we you know rally and and overcome our anxiety and go, yeah, I can have hope for the future and positive vision, and I'm going to name it and have the specific goal or whatever. And we might not hit that, right? right. God's faithfulness doesn't promise yeah. our personal understanding of success or our, our personal goals, right? right? So then, yeah, how do we think about God's faithfulness then in the the potentiality of failure? And how does that, you know, how does that not crush us, I guess? Right, right. So, so what we have to think about, if God is faithful, then that means that my failure is not going to undo or disturb his commitment to his creation, his commitment to his people. And so that means that, you know, if I have a vision for a community group or for a church that eventually doesn't come true or even falls flat on its face, that means that that's not the end of the story. That if God is faithful, then that means that he is working all things together for his purposes, for his designs for creation, and he's going to be faithful to carry that out. So I can look at failure, I can think about failure, and it no longer becomes this death of us that it feels like, but rather it becomes the realm in which we can see that God can redeem any situation, even even failure when we fall flat on our face. And hmm. so if God is doing what he says he's doing in the Bible, that he's bending the arc of history to land at the glory of Jesus Christ, at the renewal of the heavens and the earth, and we will be with him forever, then we can trust that the little blips of failure on that ark are somehow, because he is powerful, because he is faithful, a, a, a integral part of that arc to bend for our good. And so if he's faithful, we, we really don't have to worry because he's working it together. Nothing's outside of his plan. Yeah. So I want to really quickly parse out that word faithful because as you talk, it seems like it has two pretty critical elements. And these might provide us with some, uh, you know, kind of handholds uh, going forward. One is that God's faithfulness implies his, his power, yeah. right? His sovereignty, right? So you could have a God who is faithful in the sense that he's never going to leave us, but he's impotent, right? Right. Can't do anything. So it's like, sure, he's with me while everything's going to hell, right. you know, like mm-hmm. he has no power to overcome that. So right. one, when the Bible talks about God's faithfulness, it, it's, there is an implicit understanding of his strength. Right, which means that the future is not on us. Yeah, a lot of what we think about the, uh, our anxiety in the future is because it depends on us in some way. Right, like we've got to bring it about. Totally. So if it doesn't happen, that's crushing because it was uh, it revealed our weakness or right. exposed yeah. our weakness. But then the other half of that faithfulness is God's goodness. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's his, him bending uh, the arc of history to him to the good yeah. is both he's powerful enough to bend the arc of history. Yeah. And that that arc is bending towards the good. Yeah. So those twin ideas kind of married together become God's faithfulness. And that that we can cling to. Right. 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 Okay. So 
What are some takeaways, some actions when we are, uh, you know, say that this is, this is a, an issue that is really hit close to home for us. We deal with anxiety. When we feel the anxiety rising in us, mm-hmm. what do we do? How do we, how do we combat that? Yeah. So the first thing I would say, and this kind of goes back to what, what you were just saying, if God is that way, if he is good, if he is powerful, then that means that it's good that he has control. And so I think a good action item for us is to go forward and see why we desire control. Like everyone talks about, you know, with anxiety, oh, well, you don't really have control anyways. And so it's really unhelpful because what is the point of admitting that I don't have control if I still want it, if I still think that I should have it. Mm-hmm. But if God is that way that we've been talking about, then that means it's actually good that he has control. And so the first action item is to check your desires. Mm. Why do you want control? You know you don't have it. That's why you're spinning. Everyone knows we don't have control. 2020 has shown that unequivocally. But why do you still want it? And why is it good that God would be the one who has control. Yeah, there's like an implicit arrogance in that, right? Totally. That that I should have control. There's nothing about the decisions I make in any given day that suggests I should be in control, really, of any. Yeah, right? Like my children are at great risk every (laughs) day because I am their father. So to think that I should be sovereign over my own universe uh, or over the universe is not only arrogant, but not... Uh, just the, the data doesn't bear that out, yeah. that that would be a good idea. Yeah. So, Trust yeah. the data. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. What else? Uh, so after that, I would say examine your vision. Uh, is it plagued by anxiety? Is, is the vision that you have for your community group as you look into the future, is it plagued by, is it being paralyzed by anxiety? Are you unable to dream? Are you unable to process the possibility of failure? Uh, and if you are, then, you know, like we talked about, go back to that idea of God in control and his faithfulness. But first, you really got to examine, like, have I unknowingly put into how I view the future of this organization or community group or church? Is anxiety a integral piece of how that came to be, how that came to be formed? And so we got to we got to see that. And then uh, honestly, after that, we I think the best practice we can do is reflect on how God has been faithful to you. And allow that to, as you rehearse that, then you can have that that deep, you know, guts of who you are kind of come into alignment with how God has always been with you. And so how you can trust he's going to be with you in the, in the future. And so it informs us how to view the future when we're people and leaders who are able to reflect of, hey, man, even, in, even when I fell flat on my face in this, look what God still did. So yeah. why do I believe that's not going to happen again, you know, if yeah. I do fail? So. Yeah, it's great. Good. Okay, uh, Josh, what are we talking about next week? Uh, next week, we are talking about shame and the grace of God. Shame and the grace of God. So each week, we will tackle one of these kind of mental health issues. Uh, I hope this was helpful to you. I uh, encourage you to share this with folks who you think could be benefited by it. Uh, again, we're, we're working through these issues of shame and anxiety and addiction and depression and others. So pay attention to this series. Get uh, this podcast wherever you got this one. Uh, Spotify, Apple, any place you get your podcast. Also at iconchurch.org. Thank you for joining us and we will see you next week.